Well, we have a slight problem this morning, and here is the problem. It's been a, uh, an incredibly busy week um, for me uh, in that just last Thursday, uh, I sat with a family whose, um, whose head, Steve Magnus, was near death. He died Monday morning. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with the family during this past week and, in fact, have to do memorial services and gravesite services um, this weekend. Um, That did not prohibit me, however, from preparing a message for this morning. The problem is I left my notes at home. (laughs) But I did not leave the PowerPoint presentation thumb drive at home. And so, Ian, if you can bring that up. And if you can um, pray for me, all of you, that I'll remember all my notes, uh, we will go through this. There we go. I put up there my New Year's New Life resolution. Did anybody here actually make New Year's resolutions? Anybody? No? Usually you make them and you break them by the 3rd of January. You know what I mean? But I think it's more important for us to concentrate on new life resolutions, that being our new life in Messiah Yeshua. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Romans chapter 12. Of course, you'll notice we've skipped chapters 9, 10, and 11. We'll get back to them. Don't think I have forgotten them. It's just that this particular chapter lends itself so well to the new year. And the resolutions that I believe we must make as believers in how we act, how we think, how we speak, and how we serve. So if you will, let me read the entirety of the chapter, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about one verse and one verse only, and that is Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Messiah, and individually members of one another. Having them gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our, ministry, in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, 
rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, and now he he quotes from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I've been preaching the word of God since 1998. And each week that I preach it, I realize how little I know about the art of preaching. (laughs) I've been reading a book on preaching lately. That was my New Year's resolution, which I made in December. And yes, I've still kept it. And one of the things it points out is the importance of understanding who the audience was that the writer is writing to. That's one major point. Because it not only is written to us, it was written to a specific audience for specific reasons. And another thing that this particular author of this book pointed out was to have a I got to remember what it is now without my notes. FCF paradigm. FCF. A fallen condition focus. Because almost all of the teachings in the Rit HaDashah in the New Testament talk about, in one way or another, conditions of our fallen nature that still creep into our new life. You follow what I'm saying? And so Paul here is writing to an audience of predominantly Gentile believers in Rome. He's writing to a congregation, a church, if you will, that has grown mightily in these years. But he's writing to a congregation who is having problems figuring out just how do we live this new life. What he says to them is also apropos to us. And so let's continue. Next slide, please. Parents and children. We are all either one of them, (laughs) right? And every parent has a dream for their child. I remember Marty Getz once um, getting up and saying, you know, my parents always prayed that, you know, I would be uh, Marty the doctor, uh, Marty the lawyer. Uh, What they got was Marty the gospel singer, (laughs) Um, I'm sure my parents didn't expect me to be a Messianic rabbi either, but they had dreams for me. They wanted me to be safe. They wanted me to be secure. They wanted me to have a family. They wanted me to be healthy. Everyone in here has parents or parent who have had dreams for you, dreams for your good, I hope. 
But our kids can be both the, the um, source of greatest joy and also the source of deepest pain. When a child leaves home without warning to live a life on their own, maybe like the prodigal in the scripture. When a child simply decides to be disobedient to a parent for no apparent reason. But also when a child honors a parent. When a child realizes that at 17, they thought they knew more than their parents, but by the time they were 37, it was amazing how much their parents had learned. (laughs) That was supposed to raise a uh, reaction from all of you. But our Heavenly Father also has dreams for every one of his children. Just like parents, mothers and fathers, have dreams for their children. Next slide, please. I'm going to have to get new glasses or bigger font. And God's dream is to make you like his son or daughter, to conform us to the image of Messiah. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Please understand that the Greek here for perfect does not mean without any fault. It doesn't mean perfect as in a perfect score of 10 in a gymnastics routine in the Olympics. What it means is to be able to hit the mark that God has prepared for you. To be able to be a part of his will to such an extent that what he has planned for you is what you also want for your life. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's one of God's dreams for you. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. While God does not want us to be conformed to the world, he does want us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to know his son in such an intimate way that we will be like he is, that we will act like he acts, that we will allow our will to submit to his will just as his will submitted to the will of the Father. Ephesians four thirteen till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. We are a work in progress, and God understands that. Just like our children are works in progress. From the time they can first walk, to the time they can run, to the time they start reading, to the time they start critically thinking, to the time they start critically thinking that they know more than us, to the time that they realize that we knew more than them when we were their age, to the time that they decide to set out on their own. We are all a work in progress, but the goal is to rise to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. That's God's dream for us. Next slide, please. And God's dream is for his children to become disciples. How many know where the uh, Great Commission is? 
book of Matthew, chapter, verses, the last ones. <laughs> What's the great command? It's not go. The great command is not go. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, it's a prepositional phrase. In your going, make disciples. And you can't make a disciple unless what? You are a disciple. That's God's dream for his children, to become both disciples and disciple makers. And Romans 12 is the chapter about becoming disciples. And I call it the S chapter. The S chapter. Because it talks about five specific things that we should be if we are, in fact, disciples of our Redeemer and Messiah, Yeshua. Number one, we should be surrendered. Just as he was surrendered to the will of the Father, we should be surrendered to the will of God. Number two, we should be separate. We are not to fit into the world. Unfortunately, that's what's happening in many, many congregations and churches around this country. They want to make themselves like the world so that they will be more attractive to the world. It doesn't work. Because what happens is the world infiltrates the church instead of the church infiltrating the world. Number three, we need to be sober. And I'm not talking about drinking. I'm talking about sober-minded. We need to understand without a shadow of a doubt what is right, what is wrong, what is up, what is down, what is godly, and what is not. Four, we need to be serving just as we prayed for the count team. We need to be serving. What good is it to come here on a Saturday morning and leave on a Saturday afternoon and not have anything else to do with Son of David congregation until you come here the next Saturday? It really doesn't make much sense in terms of God's desire for us to be servants of his and servants of his congregation. And lastly, we need to be supernatural. Oh, wait till we get to that one in a couple of weeks. Additionally, those S's have other S's because they assume sin. Our problem that separates us from God. We'll talk about that in Romans 12, 1 to 3. It assumes salvation, God's solution in the work of Yeshua on the cross. I'm sorry, that should be Romans. The first one is not 12, 1 to 3. It, it's, it talks about, it assumes salvation, God's solution in the work of Yeshua on the cross. Romans chapters 4 to 5. Sanctification. Living out your new life in God's power and growing, chapters 6 to 8. And sacrifice, living in confidence because God keeps his promises. We'll spend a lot of time on those chapters, 9, 10, and 11, because the world, the body of Messiah at large, believes that Israel is no longer God's chosen people. But God keeps his promises, as we read in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Next slide, please. And so this is the one verse we're going to look at this morning. Romans 12, verse 1. And the verse talks about surrender, and that is the title of this morning's 
message. Surrender. Therefore, and this is the NIV, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Let me read it to you from the New King James. I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Next slide, please. Romans 12.1. What's the command? The command is to offer your bodies. Now, I don't think this means just your physical bodies. I really think it means to offer everything that you are. And oh, by the way, you can't offer something if you're forced to do it. That's not an offering. That's a submission. God is not looking for submission. God is looking for surrender. To offer is to do it willingly. To offer is to do it without any reservation. To offer is to do it, why? The motivation? Because of the mercy of God. How much has God offered us? Answer, everything. How much has God offered us? He freely gave his son for us. If that's not motivation enough, then perhaps you ought to check your salvation. Because the command is to offer The motivation is the mercy of God, and the reason is it's a spiritual act of worship. I have five children. I used to say I have five kids. None of them are kids anymore. But when they would do something in accordance with the will of Tina and myself, simply because mom and dad either said to do it or asked them to do it, in a way, that's their way of honoring their mother and father, which, by the way, is a commandment in the Scripture. By the way, it's the only commandment in the Scripture that has a caveat to it. Honor your mother and your father, who knows the rest of the verse, so that it may go well for you. Do you think that doesn't apply to our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Honor your Heavenly Father so that it may go well for you. So that you will be blessed. So that His dreams for you will come to be. So that you will be blessed simply by obeying the Word of God and surrendering. Dear ones, surrender is blessing in and of itself if it's surrendered to the will of God. The motivation is his mercy, and the reason is that it is literally a spiritual act of worship. Next slide, please. Good, I can read that. So what does God truly want most? You. Here's a question. Does he need you? 
No. But he wants you. Now, I don't think sometimes we understand the importance of the difference. You see, to want something because we need it is motivation by necessity. But to want something or someone, regardless of need, is by the motivation of love. And that's the want that God has for each and every one of us. It's a want of fellowship. It's a want of communion. It's a want of intimacy. God wants us. And he wants us to be a part of his plan. Does he need us to be a part of his plan? No. But he wants us to take part in the blessing of being a part of his plan. We talked last week about being seed sowers. Why do we sow seeds of the gospel to everyone we meet? So that we can be part of God's plan to be able to see as many as possible come to faith as we submit our will and our actions to the will of God who loved us without condition, who offered us his son for our salvation so that we might be his disciples, we might fulfill his dreams for us, that we might be part of his plan. He wants us. Now, I know there's more than someone in here who is saying this to themselves right now. Why would God want me? I don't act right all week long. I don't read his word like I know I should. I cussed my neighbor yesterday under my breath so that she couldn't hear it. I'm terrible with my finances, even though I know what I should do. I secretly watch pornography on the Internet and hide it from everybody I know. Why would God want me? Because he made you. It's as simple as that. There's a wonderful children's book that came out years ago. And and right now, I had it in my notes. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But it talks about a village with a group of people called the Wemmicks. And if you remember the name, if you've read the book, as I go along, you've got to shout it out so I can let everybody know. It's called You Are Special. Thank you. And, and the Wemmicks, okay, they had one pastime. This is what they did. If they thought you were good and cool, they would put gold stars on you. But if they thought you were the least of the least, the lower classes, they would put gray dots on you. And you could tell who thought they were good by the gold stars and how many they had. And you can tell who thought they were bad by the gray dots. And the gold star people only hung out with the gold star people. And the gray dot people only hung out with the gray dot people. I tell you that to tell you this. I'm sure that those gray dot people didn't think they deserved love. But then one day this one Wemmick, whose name was Punchinello, I love that name, 
he saw this young woman who had no stars or no dots. And he finally went up to her because she seemed so happy in her condition. He said, why don't you have any stars or dots? She says, I don't let them. When they put them on me, they fall off. He said, well, how does that work? She said, well, I'll tell you, you have to come with me tomorrow to see Eli. I love the fact that they called the name of this guy Eli, because Eli means my God in Hebrew, Eli. Eli lived in a big house up on top of the hill, and they went up to the top of the house, and as Punchinello walks in the door, Eli says, hello, Punchinello. Punchinello goes, you know my name? He says, I of course I know your name. I've been hoping you would come, and I've been expecting you forever. And Punchinello thought, why would he was hoping that I would come? And he talked with Eli. And he said to Eli, why do the stars and dots not stick to her? And Eli said, because she comes to me every day and spends time with me. And Eli says, boy, I wish I could be like her. And he says, you can be like her. He says, but why do you love me, Eli? And Eli says, I love you because I made you. And when he said this, one of the gray dots dropped off. God loves you because he made you. There is no amount of nastiness you could do or think of doing in this world that will ever change the fact that God made you and God loves you and God wants to have fellowship with you. And that's what being a disciple is. It's not, excuse my French, working your butt off for God. It's being surrendered to his will and dream for your life. And how much does he want of you? He wants all of you. If you are to be separate from the world, how can you have one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom? It doesn't work like that. He wants all that you are and all that you have fully surrendered to him. That's what it means to have your bodies being a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word sacrifice, I always think of the word dead. I mean, isn't what you do with animals when you sacrifice them? Cross the throat, they're dead. God wants us to be living sacrifices. And so I ask myself this question. What does he want us to sacrifice? Answer, our will. Not my will, but your will be done. Fully surrendered to him. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. There have been times in my life, there have been times in Tina's life where we have sat down to prayer over a specific situation and God gave us an answer to that situation and our first response was, what? 
Maybe you didn't hear us correctly, God. <laughs> Let me repeat it. To which God says, heard you. Knew what you were going to say before you said it. The best example is when we first went to Israel. I went to Israel unexpectedly. I didn't know I was going. It was a gift. Tina couldn't go. Someone wanted her to go. They, they anonymously donated enough money to the congregation we were leading so she could go. I came back. She came back. We both fell in love with the land, and we said to each other, what are we supposed to do? And I said, I don't know. What do you think? And she said, I don't know. What do you think? I said, I asked you first. Well, dear ones, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Oh, somebody say it. You pray. And so that very night, we got down on our knees and we prayed, Lord, what do we do? And he came up with this weird answer. He said, take your children there first. It's their decision also. What? Sam was five. Yael was nine. What do you mean it's their decision also? Take your children there first. How are we going to do that, Lord? That makes no sense. Remember when houses used to have equity in them? We had an equity in a house that had been gifted to us from Tina's grandma. And so for the next three years, we took a child to Israel with us by using the equity in the house to pay for the voyage. And one by one, they all fell in love with the land of Israel. They're still in love with the land of Israel. God made a way, even though it didn't make sense to us. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. How about sacrificing the possible calm in your neighborhood by sharing your faith with your neighbor? That's a living sacrifice. But I might offend them, Dennis. So, better they be offended, think, and come to faith than not offended and die eternally. All that you are and all that you have fully surrendered to him, that's what God truly wants most of us. Next slide, please. So why should we totally surrender to him? Turn around so you can read it. Because total surrender is the means through which God's best and biggest blessings flow. And I'm reading from Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Please listen. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And the simple definition of walking uprightly is walking according to the will of God. No good thing will he uphold. Now, we're not talking about a Mercedes versus a Chevy. <laughs> we're talking about the good things that God's determination is, the good things in our lives. No good thing will he withhold for those who walk uprightly. It is through our surrender to God that the greatest blessings of God flow. Next slide, please. So here's the question. Are you all in? Not just on Saturday morning. Are you all in? Are you willing to look separate from others Monday through Friday at work? 
Not weird to others. That's not what we're talking about. Separate to others. Are you all in? Are you willing to follow the commandments of God even if they don't make sense? We're going to get to it at the end of chapter 12. Are you willing to overcome evil with good? That's a hard one. Especially when the evil done to you is terrible evil. And it boils down and comes back to the first prayer that every Jewish child learns. The Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. We sing it every morning on Shabbat here at Son of David Congregation. Do you realize what you're singing? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Here's an interesting side note on that verse. All your heart is levavcha, from the word lev, which means heart. Call levavcha, v'chal nafshecha, nefesh is your soul, okay? V'chal, do you remember what the Hebrew is? Me'odecha. So me'od must mean strength. Any Hebrew speakers here? What does me'od mean? Very or much. You're to love the Lord your God with all your muchness. Now, if you read the rabbis of old, they understood that to mean your material possessions. In other words, it's not just your heart, the Hebrew thinking, your, uh, your mind, not just your soul, your very being, but all of your possessions, your muchness. You need to love him with all of that also. And if that weren't the case, why would the Lord command a tithe? Makes no sense. But he wants all of us and all that we have. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad V'yahavta et Adonai Elohecha B'chol levavcha with all your heart, uvechol nafshecha, with all your soul, uvechol ma'odecha, and with all your muchness. How much muchness you got? And by the way, please, I don't want you to interpret this as an appeal for the building campaign. It is not. It is not. What it is is an appeal for you to understand what it means to be all in. And dear ones, I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. Because there are plenty of times in my week that I ask the Lord, why me also? We all do. But I want you to remember the little drosh that I gave during the Torah service. When God says, I will. He says it to us too. I will give you a heavenly home. I will have my son build a special place for you. I will come for you. When the Father says it's time, I will take you to me to be my bride. And all God wants is our surrender. Are you all in? Let's pray.
of Venu Malkenu, our Father and our King, our Lover. What more can we say to you in appreciation other than, as you will, so I will do? Show me your will to be a good employee or employer. Show me your will on how to be a good father or a mother. Show me your will and way on how to honor our father and our mothers. Show me the blessings, Lord, of simply being obedient to your will without complaining or intellectually rationalizing. Let my faith be as radical as it is simple, wholly surrendered to you. And this I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.